This episode of A Tiny Revolution is supported by the Clumsy Bloggers Workshop. If you're a blogger or somebody who has always wanted to tell their story to impact others, this is for you. In this eight-week class, learn everything you need to know about blogging, social media, personal marketing, and a ton of other awesome tricks that will help you succeed on the internet. Find your voice, reach new readers, and yes, even make your blog look amazing. Visit ClumsyBloggers.com to get started and use promo code BEDLAM for 10% off at checkout. That's B-E-D-L-A-M for 10% off at checkout. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is a tiny revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while having the conversations and telling the stories that actually matter. I'm Kevin Garcia. Hey babes, how are you? How do you feel? What's good? I am super stoked for this week's episode of A Tiny Revolution because not only did I sit down with Garrett Conley, he's the author of Boy Erased, but I also had some fun creating the first half of this podcast, which ended up being so good that I decided I'm going to break it up into two weeks. Um, But before I get to that, uh, let me share with you what's going on in my life so maybe you and me can be friends IRL. I am going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina next weekend for Pride. I'm going to be working with The Change Project, and if you're around, give me a shout. I'd love to hang out, say hey, talk shop, and, you know, we'll kick it. We'll be friends. We'll be fam. And additionally, in October, I am finalizing details for a speaking engagement with Spectrum, which is an LGBT advocacy group in Santa Barbara. And then the following week, I also am going to be at the Reformation Project National Conference in Long Beach. And if you've never been to a TRP conference, I can't tell you how life-changing it was for me. In addition to great fellowship, it also just has transformative teaching on the biblical case for LGBT inclusion and affirmation in the church, which it's been instrumental for me in my work as an advocate and as a writer. And honestly, just as a Christian, it's really just really helped in a lot of ways. So I can't recommend it enough. In addition to that, there's the day before with like the pre-conference workshop, which is the Academy for Racial Justice. And there you'll learn more about the intersectionality of faith, race, sexuality, and gender. And if you're, if you're new to this conversation, I, I highly recommend it. It's comprehensive. It's not, yes, it is uncomfortable because conversations like that are always uncomfortable, But if you want to get woke, if you want to be somebody who's an actual advocate and not just a supporter, uh, get there. You can get all your tickets and info for that at reformationproject.org slash LA. Okay, so I put out on all of my social media a call for questions on love, dating, and relationships, and y'all came through. I am super stoked about this, to be honest. Um... But I think what's funny is if you follow me on social media for any amount of time, you'll know that I am single and you'll probably also know that I've been single for a good minute. And if you didn't, now you know. One might say that I'm not qualified to answer these questions, but as you'll hear in this conversation with my friend Amelia, maybe failure is the greatest teacher. Maybe I'm a sage. Maybe I am a freaking genius. Guess we'll find out, won't we? And as a note, as per usual, with all of my content and conversations, these are adult conversations, and that means that adult language is probably going to be present. So if you've got kids around, well, you know, do with this what you will. Here is part one of a segment I'm calling Decent Advice with Amelia and Kevin.
we're obviously very qualified to answer these questions as evidenced by our very successful love lives and relationships. So, here we are. Sometimes the, you know, the volume of failures, I feel like, does, in fact, qualify yeah. you. If you know all the wrong things to do... You know everything what gives, to do. gives you some... Some, uh, Some credence, yeah. <gasps> Same. It's because we're on a sacred pilgrimage. We are. We're in Charleston, South Carolina, on a sacred pilgrimage to... Uh, Charleston do, Pride. Charleston Pride, and also things. So there, there was a lot more questions than I knew were going to be uh, asked. Some of them were serious and some of them not so serious, so we're just going to pick and choose. Paige Kender asks... My biggest question is, what is dating today? Feel free to start there with a really great definition, mostly so everyone can get on the same page. Why don't you go first, and mm. then I will add, or I will disagree with whatever you say. <laughs> what is dating? Um, dating is um, not biblical, obviously, because courting is the way to go, and it's only through... Um, <laughs> Courting isn't biblical either. I'm, there is no model for you're actually right. human like dating isn't biblical. I should have been found a wife by my father and my mother. Right. Purchased. Love based relationships like or are, 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 like, are pretty new. That demonstrate like agency. Yeah. Like that's what is dating today? I think it is a process of um, attempting to reciprocate or to to find in someone who spurs you on towards your best self, who you can find mutual support and love, mm-hmm. um, someone who aligns with your value system. And in my mind, at least, um, I hope that my I hope that my dating life ends in marriage. Other people don't feel the same way. Um, but it's a process of simply... Um, not simply. In a very yeah. complex way. In a very complex way. Finding out who you are finding out who somebody else is and um, seeing if you guys can head towards like uh, like can do life together mm-hmm. which is such a very christianese way of putting it mm-hmm. i know but that's the best way i know how to describe it someone who aligns with your values is going in the same direction it's almost like there's that uh, analogy of like you're running your own race right and you see somebody to like you look to the side and there's someone running at the same pace as you towards going, the s- going in the same direction with their eyes fixed on the same prize. Yes, and they're just like, you know what? Let's do this together because it'd be easier to share this burden. Mm, you're uh, evangelical. Yeah, um, my evangelical upbringing, upbringing showing. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so accurate. Yeah, I mean, and that's the hilarious tragedy of it all is that <laughs> as much as I would love to distance myself from those sorts of cliches, I have found that. A Apparently, that came into prominence because it actually is, I think, a mm-hmm. a helpful way to imagining like what best partnership looks like for you. I think the only thing I would add is that dating specifically is sort of the season, however long it may be, where you determine if like the rhythm, you know, of life you participate in is going to syncopate with the other person's mm-hmm. rhythm. And so it's like specifically like 
a time where you are being willing to like ask harder questions and be open to the possibility that that is not your person. Mm-hmm. It's the time like before the covenant. And so it's getting to know each other, each other's families, each other's histories. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sharing yourself. It's, it's, you know, being vulnerable and determining if that is something that is sustainable uh, and, yeah, like you said, brings about your best self. Yeah. And it'll also bring out the worst in you, too. Right. Because, like, when you are with somebody for that long, like, who is challenging you to be better, like, inevitably, it's going to bring out some things that you don't like about yourself. Or perhaps you didn't know were there. Um, that could be possible character flaws. That's what I think. At least that's what a good relationship does, is challenge you to be your best self. From my friend Sydney K. Where the boys at? <laughs> Around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the can... wor- the world census would suggest that yeah. about half the human population about... is uh, was at least assigned male at birth. Yeah. Um, but given that we don't live in a binary world, that's a harder question to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, are are we addressing like B O Y or B O I? Like, do mm-hmm. I get to count? Am I a part of the boys, or is, is according this... what, the way she spells B O Y Z? Okay, so boys. So assigned male at birth is yeah. that? Is I that... guess so. Okay. So I would say um, they're around. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Well, I mean, I feel like we should offer something practical here, right? right. Because while the boys are on <laughs> dating apps, it's. Uh, from my anecdotal, um, you know, perspective, that that's probably not where you want to find love. No, definitely not. Yeah, and in fact, that will probably spiral into a very chaotic Rihanna music video if Absolutely. that's uh, where you are trying to find the boys. Yeah, in a hopeless place. Right. You will. And so again, the boys in my life, the places they are, would be. A variety of social settings. Parties. Yes. Uh, um, sporting events. Um, Meetup.com yeah. offers a yeah. lot of different forms of social gatherings from book clubs mm. to... Um, Pokemon Go. Yes. Um, if you're into that. You Afternoons can... in the park. Uh, yoga for yoga in the park. Exactly. So um, I, I would... It's not that the internet's your enemy in finding the boys... It's just that if you are appealing mm. to the specifically dating or uh, hookup sites, as yeah. they say, you're probably mm. not going to find what you're looking for. Yeah, unless, unless you're looking for hookups. Precisely. In this case, perfect. Which actually leads us to a really good Sue Ann. Sue Ann Shia. I can't re- Is that how I pronounce her name? Um, Sue Ann, I'm sorry if I can't, didn't pronounce your name right. Um, do you believe in love at first swipe? Absolutely. Sue-Ann. I can't mm. tell if that question was in earnest. I'm going to suspect that it wasn't. Yeah. I will say this. I believe in infatuation at first swipe because as a person who loves to let his imagination run away with himself, I have been known to make up my entire future with the hot doctors that I match with on Tinder. Um, That's fact. I have uh, been in Kevin's um, real-time <laughs> presence as that was unfolding. Yeah. I get like I get super giddy. I'm just like, this, this could be my husband. And then I, it, it's silly. So I would say like um, an emphatic no 
And also, just as far as true love is concerned, it could be a, a certain type of love. Like the the Hebrew word um, "dod," which is from Song of Solomon, is to like is like this to rock or carouse, which is like the sexual part of. It. So I think, like in that sense, like I can have seemingly great physical attraction and that kind of love for someone. However, as far as um, the true kind of love that lasts um, and bonds people. I don't think that's Mm -hmm. quite there. Right. Well, and I think, too, let's say somebody develops uh, quite the profile, right, and Mm -hmm. they actually do share their, you know, beliefs and values in that very limited profile shot there. Quite a bit of information on the basis of what somebody explains about themselves Mm -hmm. on a dating site. I think that love is an experience that both happens and is chosen. And so in order for that to unfold in the way, again, you know, presupposing Mm. gospel is true, that God would describe as uh, most life-giving, that sort of thing, then it takes time and Mm -hmm. that sustainability is not going to be possible, I think, at the first swipe. Yeah, agreed. RV Mendoza asks, what are the best ways to flirt during communion? (laughs) Well, in my own estimation, it depends on how communion is served at your church, right? (laughs) Because if it's a, if it's a pass and grab kind of church where it's like served along the aisleways Mm -hmm. and passed down, like in the Baptist or most evangelical traditions. That's not how we do it. We do intinction at First Baptist Decatur. Oh, good for you. Well. Common cup. I, um, that's how we do it at my church. So I would say if you do, if you go to the front and you do it by intention, maybe let the person you like go in front of you or perhaps maybe take the body and dip it in the blood and pass it to the person you want. I don't know if that's like normal, but maybe as you do it, or if you're serving, if you're serving communion, like make really intentional eye contact with them as they are receiving the elements. I don't know how to flirt during communion. Because you shouldn't. (laughs) That's the problem with answering this question is there is like a really irreverent part of me that would like love to throw out some responses. But then there's like a bigger part of me that's, again, too evangelical like for this this to be funny. I'm just like, oh, no. I apologize. Even if it's not a sacrament, it's sacramental. And like Mm -hmm. I get really like sweet, weepy, and sentimental about it because I love Mm -hmm. communion. I do too. I cry most of the time when I when I, I, when I take the Eucharist. So Arby Mendoza, we're save playing. your flirting for post communion. Yeah, for the potluck after church. Yeah, for the potluck. Mm-hmm. This one comes from Christine. Um, what role sh- should and does faith slash religion play in dating? Well, I hope I I think it depends on who you are. For me, it's central because mm-hmm. like if I. As much as, like, I'd like to say I could date somebody of another faith, I don't know if I personally could. Um, At least not long-term. Which, if I'm dating in general, I'm hoping that it's going to be long-term. Because the way I'm wired and the way I I see my future working out is that if I don't see someone who, again, is, like, running the race in the same direction as me, then I don't really see much of a point. Because, like, within, like, a faith system is, like, shared values, shared beliefs, shared worldview, probably... In, in, in more ways than one. And there's just something that goes really, really deep when you choose to engage with someone who has the same faith as you. 
because I found like when I have been people who aren't in the same faith tradition as me, I find myself making excuses. Excuses or defenses. Yeah. And I shouldn't have to defend my faith. I shouldn't have to defend why I love what I love. If you are a person of faith, I would say you need to find somebody who is of the same faith tradition as you. Because without that, like, you could really... I think it's more difficult to do life together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the other way they could be asking this question is if two people, like, are already, like, of the same faith tradition or they're coming from the context, how much does that faith actually inform the way that they interact in a dating Mm. relationship? If that's the question and, you know, and where it's coming from, I, I actually think... Let me back up and respond to it as though she was asking it the way you answered it. Mm. Because I think a lot of that comes down to whether you are a person who believes that like partnership is supposed to look like best friendship or partnership is supposed to look like, you know, your seeming opposite that balances you out. Mm. Because if you're the type of person who hopes for and imagines partnership to be with your best friend, that's where I think shared beliefs, shared values, mm-hmm. uh, and shared expression of beliefs mm-hmm. and values really come into play. Um, but presupposing she's asking it the other way, I think one's like faith does sort of set up uh, their eth- ethical compass mm-hmm. and how then... You treat one another uh, theoretically flows out of that. And so in that way, I think it's still like pretty central. Like what you believe like about humanity and what you believe about human connection is going to come from whatever you believe or you don't believe. And so I do think it's possible to be in a good relationship with Mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't um, share all those things with you, but it is going to regardless inform like how you interact with them and, mm-hmm. um, how you interact, you know, then con- conversely like with your faith. Mm-hmm. Cause that's your primary human connection is like your person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. There we go. Central. Central. <laughs> it is central. Anna Jelsey asks, which makes more financial sense? Adopting all of my cats at once or once per year. Hashtag future cat lady. Um, also, she said hashtag I hate cats. Yeah, she um, doesn't even like cats. <laughs> I was very confused by that question. Um, uh, well, it depends on your income, I guess. Because And also, will the uh, where you're adopting your cats or purchasing your cats from, are you going to get a deal cut for you? So if you're getting them from a breeder, perhaps, yeah. maybe they'll cut you a deal if you buy more kittens. Can you bundle your kitties? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. Or, like, is there a payment plan you can do if you like, get them all at once and then pay monthly installments? So really, I guess it's just... Oh, but if you're someone who, like... Who's your cat connect? Yeah. That's the real You gotta question. find a really good cat connect before you start doing it. So really, um, we can't know right now. Well, that was some decent advice with Kevin and Amelia. That was part one of our conversation on loved relationships and dating, and we'll be back next week with part two. And so if you liked it, tune in. Like I said in the beginning, this episode of A Tiny Revolution is supported by the Clumsy Bloggers Workshop. If you are a blogger or somebody who's always wanted to, you know, impact others with your story, this is for you. It's an eight-week class, and in there, you're going to learn everything you need to know about blogging, social media, personal marketing, 
and a bunch of great techniques to help you succeed online. Find your voice and reach new readers, and yes, make your blog look, you know, next level chic. I honestly can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's designed by Micah J. Murray. He's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant um, teacher and writer, and he makes it accessible to the common person. So if you've never, ever been online before, if you don't know the first thing about blogging, he's the man I suggest you go to. So go over to clumsybloggers.com, get started, and use the promo code BEDLAM for 10% off at checkout. You got nothing to lose, babe. Go for it. This week, you'll be listening in on a conversation between me and Garrett Conley. Garrett's the author of Boy Erased, and here's the premise of that. When Garrett was 19 years old and a college student, he was outed to his parents, and he was forced to make a life-changing decision. Either he could attend a church-supported conversion therapy program that promised to, quote, cure him of his homosexuality, or lose his friends, family, and God. Through an institutionalized 12-step program that's heavy on Bible study, he was supposed to emerge from that heterosexual, ex-gay, cleansed of all his impure urges, and stronger in his faith. Uh, Instead, what he faced was a harrowing and brutal journey that many of us have actually faced, and so this book for me is important. Garrett found the strength and understanding to break out in search of his true self and, on top of that, forgiveness. By confronting his buried past and the burden of a life living in a shadow, Garrett traces the complex relationships among his family, his faith, his community. And at times this book's heartbreaking, at other times it's triumphant, but more than anything, it's a testament of love that survives despite all odds. So in this conversation, we're talking about the book, his life, what he's doing now, how this topic is generally ignored and is still terribly present. So I think that you're going to enjoy this. But before we get into it, it's just a bit of a trigger warning. In our conversation, we talk about trauma. We make references to sexual assault, suicide, and other topics surrounding spiritual trauma. So please listen at your own discretion. Okay, here we go. This is my conversation with Garrett Conley. And just a note about the quality of the recording. Uh, We had this conversation before I had got my new microphone, and uh, Garrett was actually recording inside of a public library, so there's a little bit of background noise, but uh, think of it as just a very candid live conversation that you'd be having with two of your friends. All right, let's get into it. You're Garrett Conley. You wrote... Boy you, erased. You said it correctly too. That's exciting. I asked um, someone before. <laughs> okay, that's great. Yeah, because I'm just like I'm not gonna mispronounce his name because um, that would be really um, upsetting. Probably they've done it at like big bookstore events. Oh so. gosh. <laughs> yeah. What What's the worst iteration of your name that you've gotten? Um, Gerald, which doesn't even make sense because no. there's no L. But <laughs> I have gotten that one. Gerald. Gerald, Gerald Conley, everyone. He's Gerald from, Conley. He's from Arkansas. <laughs> he's from Ar- this is Gerald Conley. He's from Arkansas. <laughs> Son of a pastor's boy. He is. Yeah. He is uh, a degenerate, <laughs> among other things. And yeah. he's here to tell you about his, uh, his her- heretical book. Yes, very heretical. Yeah. So, um, Boy Race, uh, I have not finished it yet. So, no spoilers. That's fine. Just kidding. Spoiler no, alert. No, there's. <laughs> I'm still I mean, gay. 
What? <laughs> yeah. That's totally. not what this this uh, interview is about. I was, I was hoping to get you uh, yeah, on stage I, with the RNC. To... I have bad news for those people. It's just not going to work. Oh, sad times. <laughs> As I've been reading, um, I, there are so many Me Too moments that have happened for me. Like, I went through conversion therapy starting, like, age 14 with Exodus. Oh my gosh! So, so like Exodus proper, like the, the yeah, Exodus International. Yeah. No, it was like one of their satellite offices. Um, yeah. But like they were associated with Exodus. I went to two Exodus. I went to an Exodus retreat, an Exodus conference. Did you go to Love Wins Out or what was it? I can't remember the name. I think it was like Love Wins Out or something like that. No, I, n- I never got to that. I was too dedicated to my lead in the musical TV. <laughs> That probably saved you. <laughs> yeah, more than likely. Um, yeah. But, like, I, I'm really thankful for your writing. Um, so for people who haven't, uh, I guess, read the book or have heard of Boy Erased, give me, like, uh, you know, give them a synopsis, if you will. Which sure. you probably have given this synopsis a thousand times over. Yeah, I'm, like, a pro at it now. Um, so I went to an ex-gay reparative therapy facility uh, called Love in Action in Memphis, Tennessee, and it was like a 12-step program to cure you mm. of being gay, or really anything on the spectrum. Um, and they grouped us with people that were dealing with bestiality, pornography addictions, pedophilia, etc. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the book alternates between chapters, sort of talking about the therapy practices that they did at Love in Action, and then also... Um, the reasons why my parents agreed to send me to this place and why I agreed to go, which I actually thought was more important as like a way to explain mm-hmm. conservatives to liberals and liberals to conservatives. Yeah. And when you were you were going there, this is like, I'm going here because I'm trying to get right with God and with my family and all that stuff. Yeah. So my father is a missionary Baptist preacher. He became one when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And... We were always pretty fundamentalists. Like, we went to church three times a week. Mm, and I know that life. Yes. Yeah. It's, and, you know, it wasn't always bad. But then when my dad became a pastor, uh, everything sort of amped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so his life was under scrutiny. So was mine. And, you know, when, wow. I, when I was outed, um, he was like, you know, you have to go to this place because people are going to be paying attention. And also, I'm not going to pay for your college. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, <laughs> so and so when that happened, like you know, I, I'd been questioning whether or not I might live as an out gay man somewhere, mm-hmm. a practicing a, homosexual, if you yeah, will. practicing um, <laughs> in like you know one of those hedonistic mm-hmm. cities. Um, and so I was questioning that, but then when this happened, I was raped right before this happened, and my mm. rapist outed me to my parents. It's bad. Wow, what the yeah, it's fuck? Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Um, and so, like, all of this was sort of swirling together in my brain, like, oh, I guess gay sex is rape, like everyone mm. always said it was. Yeah. Um, I guess that my parents are never going to speak to me again, and I won't get to go to college. And so mm. all of these things combined with my childhood that was already steeped in this fundamentalist worldview combined to create the perfect storm which was love and action they were just waiting for me i think the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that these mindsets that you've talked about in your book and that are kind of talked about uh in conservative circles 
like you and I, like we've probably both run in more liberal to progressive circles. So as someone who's never been a part of this culture, it's like, what people actually try to pray the gay way. And it's like, yeah, it's a thing. And it's, it's awful. I just wrote a piece for vice like yesterday that sort of talks about this incredulous attitude that liberal audiences have. Mm -hmm. Like it's really frustrating Mm -hmm. because you know, people are always like, how could this happen in our country? How could it have happened as recently in 2000, as 2004? And yeah. I always say, well, we still live in a country with 40% LGBT youth makeup, like all youth homelessness, mm-hmm. like LGBTQ is 40%. And, and so ridiculous. Like, and so I always say, like, people do worse than send their kids to ex-gay therapy. They kick them out of their houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, we live in that country. We also live in a country where the GOP platform has just decided that conversion yeah. therapy should be included. We also live in a country where, like, you know, one of our major political parties has decided to try to overturn marriage equality. So, like, how is this shocking to people? I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. <laughs> They're just not paying attention. So, I don't know, like, like when you encounter people who just see have this like you said an incredulous attitude or just like that's not real mm-hmm. um or it's a joke it's yeah. always a joke that's unless like like i i mean i like i you know tried to commit suicide twice me too because for yeah. you know f- uh what was it i guess it was 12 years for me mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't i didn't really come to grips with it till i was 25 and i was 13 14 at the time something like that wow but like i like you know, people talk about it, it's like, oh, that's just a joke. I was like, no, it really isn't. And like, I've got years of therapy to prove. You know? Yeah. And, you know, these ex-gay therapists have blood on their hands because there are people who did commit suicide after attending these places. Yeah. And you look at, you look at Leah Alcorn. Yeah. God rest her soul. Suicide. Right. Like these are real people who lost mm-hmm. their lives. It's not a joke. I mean, I get the the desire to turn it into a joke. You know, it's like, it is ridiculous. It does seem ripe for satire. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, that's the only narrative that I was told in mainstream is that it's a joke. You know, there's like a South Park episode. It was on SNL. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the new season of Orange is the New Black has a joke in it. Like, every single one of the portrayals of this type of therapy has been through the lens of this joke. Mm-hmm. Or it's been places that are infiltrating you know these facilities which those make me a little bit upset too i mean i know why people are doing it you mean like people going into x-day therapy under false pretenses yeah it's like gonzo journalism you know where they're Mm -hmm. just like okay we're gonna go in and pretend that we need to be converted and let's make fun of these monsters who are doing this Mm -hmm. and like that was never my goal with the book my goal was to actually explain the motivations behind Mm -hmm why people agreed to go to this and why people did this. And I always say, you know, ex-gay therapy is a microcosm of the types of bigotry that exists all over our country for queer queer people. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's like in the water if you grow up in these places. So it's not shocking when you go to a place like Love and Action. It's not shocking. It's not funny. Mm -hmm. It's just like what you've already been introduced to your whole life. 
I think like the first thing to do is we we have to say it isn't a joke, and we have to listen to people's stories. Like you said, like there are several books that have been coming out. Saving Alex was another one. Mm-hmm. I was this girl who was forced into conversion therapy. She was Mormon. Wow. So that's another one that just came out from a big press. Um, and so like you know this is becoming a more mainstream issue, especially right now as the GOP is like mm-hmm. adopting this completely crazy rhetoric that's like that feels like 2004 again god right um, yeah and so like i think that you know i've been writing articles i've been telling people i think if people are willing to listen they should spread the the message and say yeah. like this is actually still going on only five states have actually banned it mm-hmm. and if the republicans take complete control of everything they're going to yeah. try to push the um, First Amendment Protection Act, which allows physicians to do this sort of thing, with you know, yeah. like across all states, so mm-hmm. even the bans wouldn't work anymore. So, like, if they create some sort of federal law that passes that way, which you know, it seems almost impossible, but but then, everything... Do- then again, Donald Trump is also yeah, the Republican exactly. nominee, so like, you know what? Sky's yeah. the limit, you guys. I know. Well, I always that's what. Do you know the writer Garth Greenwell? He wrote a book, What Belongs to You. It's it's a really great gay book this year. And, you know, we were touring together, and people kept saying, well, what do you think about this Trump thing? And we were always like, well, it's entirely possible because, like, the pendulum can go swing the other direction at any moment. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's queer in this country knows this. Like, yeah. <laughs> like there Gosh. could be pockets of liberalism, and then suddenly the country just becomes super conservative again. Look at Brexit right now. Yeah. Look at all of the European conservatism that's coming back into power. Like, it can happen anytime. I think there's um I think there's a moment that we're kind of like stepping into where we're realizing that you know, queer justice is wrapped up in justice for people of color, is wrapped up in justice for women, immigrants, yeah. the poor. Well, yeah, I mean, I've always defined my queerness off of the feminist movement. Like, Mm. that was my first introduction to queer theory, Mm. is, you know, these great theorists that were feminists. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that, I think it should always stem from other movements, because they were before us. Yeah. You know, I mean, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. It just seems like a lot of our rhetoric has been borrowed from feminist theory anyway. Yeah. And now it's time for all of us to sort of agree. Like, you know, the the idea that Black Lives Matter is something that I don't think is difficult to adopt. As like, Absolutely. As a queer person in the U.S. Or, you know, um, yeah, just I feel like it is a time in which boundaries are sort of already becoming a little bit unstable in terms of identity, which is good. Oh, yeah. Um, And so as we continue to unravel these sort of traditional roles or ideas of ourselves, like, we have to be willing to be inclusive with Mm -hmm. everyone. Mm -hmm. And and that rhetoric, you know, when you were talking about, oh, but you're not like those other people, Mm -hmm. that rhetoric is used on queer people all the time. All the damn time. I I always, when I was, you know, getting out of ex-gay therapy and starting to tell people that I was gay, I would always hear, like, Oh, but you're not flamboyant like those other really annoying guys. Or, oh, you don't act like that. And I would be like, you know, at first I just wanted to fit in. And I would be like, oh, good, yeah. 
And yeah. as I got older, I was like, fuck that. Like, mm-hmm. what if I was flamboyant? What if I want to be flamboyant right now? Yeah. Let's start dressing in drag. Like, are you going to just hate mm-hmm. me now? Coming out in the church, like, it's such an interesting thing. Because, like, I've had people say to me, some of my people I used to consider my closest friends, is like, oh, well, we don't see you through the lens of, you're gay, Kevin. We see you through the lens of, you're just Kevin. And I'm like, just yes. Kevin. I'm like, yes, that's true. And I want you to see, like, my whole person. But, like, my sexuality is as much a part of me as your sexuality is a part of you. You and your marriage and your child. Like, that all sprung from somewhere. They define their entire lives by that, like straight people do. Oh, my gosh. Like, right? It's it's bonkers to me. Like, like, how do you see, like, like, I I don't see you through the lens of you're straight, but I still acknowledge it and I honor that. It's so funny. Funny is not the right word, but... I mean, my reaction with that stuff, I used to be very measured and careful and blah, 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 because, you know, I'm very much stuck between a conservative family and a very liberal friends group. Yeah. But but now I'm just like, when I hear stuff like that, I just want to be like, well, you know, actually I do see straight people through a straight lens, and I love being gay so much, like, as my identity, that mm-hmm. I wish it was more of it. Like, I yeah. actually, like I'm like, yeah. please see me as gay. Please let me, like wear a rainbow flag all the time if you need to see that. Yeah. Because I just feel like visibility is super important. Mm-hmm. And, like, and this idea that people have to somehow make a percentage of what you are yeah. based on, so like, a label is really strange to me. Yeah. Like, there's no... It's not like your capacity to be human mm-hmm. is tied to this percentage level. <laughs> like it's like mm-hmm. I can be one hundred percent gay and one hundred percent smart mm-hmm. and one hundred percent a writer. And I can be all of these things at one time. Yeah, and I can be well, masculine and I can yeah, be exactly. sensitive and I can And be, I can be feminine too. Yeah. Like I can be all of these things at once. It's just people it's just, they wanna like they wanna parse it out. Yeah. I'm actually writing that in uh, in my book. I'm talking about um, I call it like, dissecting the human heart. We it's, it's a tendency to separate like work life from spiritual life from friendship life yep. down the line, and then we do that with like uh, you know what people would call sin nature. You know, I'm going to put that over there. Those dark parts of me, those aren't really me. And yeah, it's like, exactly. no, the fact that you are a jealous asshole is definitely you. Definitely, and that's okay that. as long as you can bring it in, own it, and say, okay, I'm going to be not as much of an asshole if I can, but it's these things where just like, you are like, like, and it, it's, it's something lacking in, I think conservative, uh, maybe Western culture in general. It's just like, you are a single human with yeah. life, death, happiness, joy, fear, anger, you know, shallow moments and incredibly deep moments all smashed together in this old meat sack. <laughs> well, you know, like, I don't think this is particularly, like, you know, confined to the Republican Party, but I just read through the GOP platform, like, all of it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, well, I had to do it for research, so I didn't feel as horrible. But, you know, like, probably 15 or 20 times, it talks about, like, good and evil and, like, people being good or people being evil. And, it, and like, on one in one paragraph, it has God 12 times. And I'm like, okay... So this party seems to actually believe that there are just good and evil people. I mean, we already know that, but it's just crazy to see it in their platform language. 
I feel like that's part of a, you know, that's, that's an extreme end of mm-hmm. a much larger trend in U.S. culture, which is, you know, we've been commodifying ourselves and selling ourselves as, you know, experts at whatever, you know. And so I think mm. part of that is also tied up with, well, she's just a bitch or he's just an asshole or, like, you know, mm-hmm. like people just have decided that we need to mm-hmm. label people as good or bad in some ways. Yeah. Which it's just uninteresting to me as a yeah. writer, especially. Okay. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I'm like character people. Yeah. Characters are interesting. People and their characters are interesting regardless of the horrible things that they do. They're still interesting. Yeah. Because like, you know, you can sit down and like dissect Donald Trump. Yeah. Like, I was like, he is infinitely He's interesting. Super interesting. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then, and just as much as you can go up to, you know, you know, any of, any of us who walked through XC mm-hmm. therapy, anybody who was putting on like, like facilitating yeah. the stuff. And I think that's like, and it's something that I really struggle with too. And maybe you can speak to this is that even though like, I want to like walk into like my pastor's office and just be like, do you understand the damage you're doing when you disallow me from serving because I'm gay mm-hmm. or I want to get up in my own family's face. Yeah. It's like, I understand that this person is more than just this one thing that they dislike or disagree on, which is like very, like maybe, you know, I don't want to say too merciful, but it's like, I don't want to be, I want the, I want the same people who are committing like these, like, like who are bigots and like who Mm -hmm. have bigoted ideals. I want them to be set free just as much as I want other people to be free too, because like, it's not just, you know, yes, oppression is real, but there's also like a mental, there's, there's a lack of freedom, I think, for mm-hmm. people who hold those beliefs. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I, I can speak to this a little bit because in my dealings with my family, you know, I had to sort of, in order to write the book well, I had to really get inside their heads again. And, and one of the, you know, one of the things I realized is that my mom really wanted to be free. She wanted to be free from these old ideas, and now she is. My dad is not, but it took a lot of patience and explaining things to her and her listening in order for her to reach that stage. And I think that there are people that can be sort of saved from bigotry, but I also think there are people that, especially the people who perpetuated the therapy, like John Smith, who was the head of Love and Action, where I went, um, I became Facebook friends with him. I began to speak with him. But what I realized very quickly is that my compassion can sometimes be limited because, you know, the things that he would say were triggering or, you know, there I would see these, you know, egotistical traits that he'd always had suddenly come back, you know, even though he's married to a man. Um and I would just be like, you know what? I'm going to spend my energy on the people who, you know, didn't necessarily do these horrible things but need my help. So people who were survivors and people. And I think that sometimes we have to make those decisions. Yes, theoretically, everyone deserves to be set free. But in terms of, you know, equal rights and, give, you know, I think we have to we have to privilege those who are on the lower end of things.
I think, you know, I've always been a humanist at heart. Like, even when I was very religious, I would always be like, yeah, but what are we going to do for people? Yeah, but what are we actually doing? Yeah, um, what good is heaven later if you're going yeah, through hell now? Exactly. And people always be like, oh, but that's very works-based. And I would be like, yeah, it is very works-based. I, I, I think it's very works-based. Like, like, we think the hell Jesus did. Like, <laughs> exactly. He like, literally he... was on the road <laughs> all the time. He was just touring everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he had, like, you know, had he written a book, like, he'd have given plenty of talks. Well, he would have given plenty of talks. He sort of did. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. Like, you know, the Sermon on the Mount... If you, believe, the... if you believe John, he totally did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Everywhere. And the only people who didn't like him was his family. That's true. So. They, yeah. Mary was just like, what are you doing? She's like, girl. <laughs> and all his brothers and sisters were just like, dude, like, you gotta chill. Calm, and, calm and it like, down. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, nah, bruh. And that was my conversation with Garrett Conley. You can get your copy of Boy Erased wherever fine books are sold. I highly recommend it, especially if you have no context of what anything we were talking about. And uh, make sure you read it with a box of tissues and line up a therapy session because you're going to need it to process all that mess. Um, if you want to find Garrett Conley online, you can check him out on his website, garrettconley.com. That's G-A-R-R-A-R-D, Conley, C-O-N-L-E-Y.com. And you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at GayRodCon, G-A-Y-R-O-D-C-O-N. Before I go, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the sponsorships and the patrons on Patreon. If you want to support the creation of these podcasts or any of the other content I create, go to thekevingarcia.com slash support to learn how. And there's some great perks associated with being a patron, like... Full unedited interviews like the ones we had today with Garrett. Um, in that interview, we talk about um, the process of writing, about going through trauma, a little bit more about politics, and a few uh, other adult content conversations, which I think are really, really funny and I think you're going to love. Um, but yeah, you get that with being a patron. There's also t-shirts involved, um, a really kick-ass newsletter that's going to go out once a month with resources from me, um, webinars, the whole nine yards. It's great. Again, go to thekevingarcia.com, click on support to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. And if you can't give financially, you can still help. Go over to the iTunes store, leave a review and a rating, hopefully something nice, because it seriously helps with visibility and upping my ranking in the iTunes store because who doesn't want this to be successful? I know you want it to be successful. I want it to be successful. So whoever you are, whether you're a patron or not, go over to the iTunes store, leave me a review, and I'll love you forever. Additionally, I've got a blog, which I just mentioned before, um, and that's where I write about the intersections of Christian faith, human sexuality, and American culture. And I've also got my ebook available for free. And you can get that just by subscribing. So go over to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe, and you can just keep up with all the crap that I'm doing. Last thing, A Tiny Revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, and we are a collective of creatives sounding off on things that matter. Be sure to check out our newest podcast, Too Real with Cope, which makes its debut very soon, and some other amazing stuff coming out. 
If you need more information on what we do at BPN or to advertise on any one of our podcasts, go to bedlampodcasts.com. All right, I think that's it. I will see you in Charlotte, North Carolina for Pride and then California in October. Um, I'm excited. I love you guys. It's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. And I hope that you loved this episode and I hope that you know that you're loved. Till next week, I'm Kevin Garcia and I will talk to you later. Bye now. Can you bundle your kitties? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah.